0: Good day, you're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host in Montreal, Stéphane Christophe. This is the 66th edition of the show. And uh, today on the broadcast, on the podcast, I'm going to be featuring a conversation with Julie Marshall, uh, who is uh, working with the World Food Programme, uh, which is a UN agency that is dealing with pandemic hunger um, globally. The work of the World Food Programme is global and also focuses on crisis zones. There's a recent report um, that the World Food Programme was involved in um, with other agencies to try to document uh, the dangers of uh, growing um, starvation and hunger in Afghanistan in the context of uh, the recent uh, takeover of the country by the Taliban, the report indicates that twenty two million people in the country are facing um, food shortages um, at the level of having severe impact on health starvation, a possibility. Um, so although this program often focuses on more systemic analysis around like the context for Um, systemic injustice, inequality. I thought it would be important to get like a clear picture as to the acute, detailed reality on the ground in Afghanistan and the way that like a world institution through the UN, the World Food Programme is trying to address this. Um, So that's the focus of the podcast this week. And here's my conversation with Julie Marshall- of the World Food Programme. I'm joined by Julie Marshall, uh, who is the Communications Officer for the World Food Programme in Canada. Um, There's been an increase in reports, which is important, about uh, growing hunger in different regions of the world. The pandemic has exasperated the situation. and. I thought it'd be important to hear from a more official institution globally uh, connected with the United Nations that has been doing tangible on the ground support uh, for communities in different contexts globally, uh, dealing with the impacts of um, pandemic inequities. Of course, the pandemic has um, deepened structural inequalities and also shown them in a lot of cases, but there's also war and conflict, um, particularly in Afghanistan that is creating uh, increased uh, food um, inequalities and hunger. So good morning, Julie.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me this morning.
0: Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. It's really appreciated. Um, So there's a lot to cover, um, but first of all, just for people who are listening to understand at a basic level, um, what is the World Food Programme? And why is it important that we we sort of understand what this institution is?
1: We're the um, we're UN agency, first of all, and we're the largest humanitarian agency in the world. Uh, last year, we reached around 114 million people with food assistance. Um, and this year we we will hopefully reach, reach a lot more. So as the huma- humanitarian arm, we get food to where it's needed all around the world. We're in 80 different countries. We respond to different crises um, from conflict, climate, and now uh, COVID as well. We have a a huge logistics arm where we have uh, 5,000 trucks on the ground, 100 planes, 30 ships, uh, we work with different agencies in other UN agencies, as well as international and national NGOs. So we don't do this work alone.
0: So the massive global infrastructure that you're talking about is addressing, you know, very tangible direct needs. Um, you know, on this program, to be honest, a lot of our conversations really look at some of the sort of systemic critiques around, um the reasons for food inequality, the reasons for economic injustice in the world. Um, And that's, of course, important, Uh, but that sort of tangible um, uh, on-the-ground addressing of the crisis obviously is also important. Um, So I'm just wondering, um, just to underline the point, and you know, and we talked about this before, can you can you detail some of the ways that the pandemic has uh, impacted food food inequality and hunger? Um, and I, I ask this not just on a rhetorical level, but to just sort of understand the amount of urgency that's happening. And 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 one other thing you you mentioned in our pre-interview conversation, Julie, that I. I thought was really important about your work was the fact that you actually do work with governments uh, particularly in the south to support public institutions that are trying to address hunger and can you talk a bit also about why that's important i know there's a lot in the question so you know whatever you'd like to to look at thank you
1: well i think it's i think it's important to start with the scale of the problem so we're looking at around eight hundred and eleven million people going to bed hungry every single night. And of those around forty two million are really tetra- they're really on the edge of famine, um, with just the slightest push pushing them over the edge. So um, without emergency assistance, these forty two million literally could starve to death. and that number is up. 27 from 27 million in 2019. So we can see there's a huge jump here. So the three main drivers of hunger are conflict, which you've touched on. So um, conflict in places like Yemen, South Sudan, now Afghanistan, and lots of other countries. So our main focus right now, a lot of our funding is going to these complex emergencies where we're responding on the ground to, uh, to conflict people are displaced, they can't get to their fields, they can't plant crops, they're hungry and we need to we need to support them and save lives right there. Also, one of the other drivers, and it's important that as we're sort of opening up COP26 in Glasgow and where uh, WFP are present there, that we remember that climate shocks and stresses are really destroying lives, livelihoods, crops. Um, people, if they can't feed themselves or produce the food for their their families and their communities and their region um, are going to be hungry as well. And then you put on top of that COVID. So it's really a multiplier of all of these things. So it's driving up the hunger numbers, um, hitting economies worldwide, uh, pushing millions into unemployment, um, leaving governments with little resources, and donors um, with little fewer resources to address Food and insecurity and nutrition in the you know of the world's most vulnerable. So it's really pushed people. People haven't got jobs. People that were really on the edge before. People that are the poorest of the world have become poorer, and the hungriest have become more hungry. And they're the people that we need to get to. They're the people that are obviously on the edge of famine. It was a record: two hundred and seventy million people are forecast to need humanitarian assistance in 2021. This is um, a, a 40% jump from last year. So it's really making our job a lot more difficult, COVID has, and we've also had to change, so, so it's made the, the need greater, but also governments now, our donor governments, have fewer resources to put to those expanding needs. And we've also had to change, obviously, the way that we work. So before we were feeding, we feed around 17 million children in school feeding programs. When those children are out of school, when schools are closed, they're no longer getting what was very often that one meal a day. And more than more importantly, it was a nutritious meal of the day as well. With the um, uh, the other advantages that come with that and education, getting girls into school, helping the local economy. So really what we had to do there as schools were closed is try to take that food to the families that need it to literally deliver it to the family's doorstep when they're in quarantine. Um, other obviously large distribution points have been closed down where we might have thousands of people showing up at, at a one particular place like you think of um, Bangladesh and a large distribution point in Cox, Cox's Bazaar we would take that distribution and then spread it over a couple of days, just allowing a few people per day or a few people per hour to pick up the food that they need and use that distribution point to share knowledge on what was happening with COVID. So, you know, that's sort of basically what has hit us over the last sort of 18 months. And when you're talking about working with governments, I mean, it's something that we have a long history with. We're working with local governments um, really, at this point, we are helping them get to um, to zero hunger within their countries. They may have different issues, it may be a, a lack of food, it may be a lack of nutrition, it may be because of climate or conflict, but we help local governments reach their goals. So we're used to working with governments on interventions to contribute to their national recovery to shocks and to climate, as I said. So. We have, as I said, presence in 80 countries. So working with those local governments, we're working on their social protection and their safety nets. And that can be anything from helping them reach the most vulnerable, figuring out who those people are because they're part of the people that we serve. So making sure that they can reach them with either digital um, funds or vouchers to help them with their urgent food needs, or it might be a scaling up their school feeding programs or working with um, their uh, nutritional programs, making sure that they're reaching pregnant women and um, young children to make sure they have the nutrition that they need.
0: Thank you for outlining all that, Julie. Um, So I guess uh, just in regards to the specific situation today in Afghanistan, um, Canada obviously has responsibility to uh, respond to the crisis in Afghanistan due to Canada's participation in the military intervention there. Can you talk about tangibly on the ground what you know of to be happening in Afghanistan today and how the WFP, the World Food Programme, is addressing that? Um, just, just a little bit of information for people to understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the situation there is desperate right now. So, um, just a month ago, we were talking about 14 million people in need of food assistance. We've since had a an assessment come back. It was launched an IPC assessment done um, Monday of this week in uh, in uh, late October, and it was showing that 22 million people, nearly 23 million people, 55% of the population face severe hunger, according to the crisis uh, to the to the assessment. That, and it's moving really quickly. Um, we've seen many people reaching these emergency crisis levels in urban populations as well as rural, popu- uh, yeah, rural populations. Um, the desperation because of drought, this, we're in the second drought in three years. So this is affecting, again, climate comes into the equation. Um, also displacement because of the, uh, the conflict and the insecurity but also the collapse of public services and the deepening economic crisis that's happening there. Um, so we're seeing people haven't got jobs. They haven't been paid. Government workers, teachers, nurses, doctors, haven't got um, haven't been paid for three months at a time. Anyone that does have any savings at the bank, they're not able to get at those savings. I think it's something like 200 US dollars per month they're allowed to take out. So there's just no money flowing in the country. Um, Women aren't allowed, in some cases, aren't able to get to any jobs that they had before, they're frightened to go out onto the streets. So the need is absolutely huge. And there's a real urgency here, because what's happening is it's getting cold in Afghanistan, the snow is starting to fly. That means parts of the country are going to be cut off. So we need to pre-position food by the end of this month all around the country Because if we don't, then whole swaths of the country will not be fed. That means millions will die of starvation. And we're looking at around um, a million children at least. Uh, This is what WFP and UNICEF are saying. If we don't reach them right now and get food to them. So WFP, what we're doing on the ground, again, uh, we're working with our partners, but what we're doing is we aim to reach around 23 million people this year in Mm -hmm. Afghanistan. And that means that the operation is gonna cost us around $220 million per month to feed this amount of people. So we, we've, we, we have the know-how and the technology. What we don't have is the funding. So we've seen funding pledges made at, at the latest conference, but we haven't seen all of that funding come through. Canada's an important partner here. Uh, Canada's one of the largest uh, donors to WFP globally. And they're an important partner for Afghanistan. So they have responded but we need everybody to respond. WFP needs uh, people like you and I, your listeners to donate to WFP and get funds there. We need private sector to step up, we need governments, we need the international community to step up now.
0: Thank you for sharing those specifics around Afghanistan Um, and uh, World Food Program, people can look that up obviously. Um, I guess the last point I, I just wanted to uh, address briefly was, um, you know, there's a lot of initiatives, um, both at a local level and internationally, to try to um, respond to the crisis of uh, food inequality in the world uh, and economic injustice more broadly, uh, which obviously is the reason for food, food inequality often. Um, there's various ways that plays out. But anyways, the point is that there's various responses. And, you know, I see a lot of people doing uh, independent initiatives, which often are very positive. Um, But I guess my question has always been around, like, the, the sort of challenges that are faced around um, a lot of uh, NGO initiatives, where we don't sort of have mechanisms to sort of Understand where the funds go. We've seen that a lot with Haiti, for example. Um, you know, after the earthquake, there was a lot of um, money that was sent for Haiti. And we know now that a lot of it didn't get to Haiti. So um, I guess uh, one of the reasons I was interested in highlighting the World Food Program obviously, you're doing essential frontline work globally, but it's just the importance of, you know, I know UN agency is perfect, but the um, mechanisms of accountability that exist within a, a public facing institution connected to the UN. And, you know, I I, I understand that, um, you know, there's a lot to discuss there, but I'm just wondering if you have any, any comments uh, about that. Um, thank you. Yeah,
1: so, so the way that we work um, is, as a most of our funds come from donors, uh, sorry, government donors, members of our board, so member states. So when a country like Canada chooses to donate through the World Food Programme, and if you say, for instance, when you look at somewhere like Afghanistan, where there's conflict, um, where, you know, it's it's unsure whether the government is being recognised, what we do is the food, uh, sorry, the assistance, whether it is done by food or by cash vouchers, um, is is delivered directly to the people we serve. It's not handed over to a government agency. So when we talk to when we talk about um, reaching uh, ten million people, which what is is what we have reached in Afghanistan right now, that food has been procured locally within Afghanistan where possible, or brought in out of the country and delivered either through us or through our trusted uh, partners to. Uh, directly to the people that we serve so and that's the case in Haiti and in countries all around the world, we don't hand these funds over, it simply goes from um, you know from our hands, and it is important that we try to purchase our food locally because that doesn't just help the people that we're serving. But it also helps the smallholder farmer as we purchase the products from them who can very often suffer from these shocks from climate or um, insecurity themselves so we're helping them very often they're women so we're looking at those insecurities and those inequalities within a country to make sure that we're addressing them so again we're not just saving lives but we're changing the lives and we we aim our programs at the most vulnerable and very often women. So making sure that smallholder farmers who are women um, come together in an association and have the quality and quantity of food. We we help them produce that with our partners so that we can can, uh, purchase from them and then deliver that food to their children or to their families or within the communities or the region. So we see who is the most uh, vulnerable within that country and who is, uh, you know, Uh, and even our school feeding programs, making sure that all children get to go to school, the poorest of the poor get to go to school. They don't just get that meal, but it helps that community grow. So we're really trying to use food to address some of those inequalities around the world.
0: Thank you, Julie, for taking the time to speak today.
1: You're very welcome.
0: That was a conversation with Julie Marshall of the World Food Programme. Uh, who is highlighting, I think, importantly, the work that the institution does. It's a UN agency, but recently has drawn attention to the particular realities facing Afghanistan in the context of the political and military crisis in the country with the takeover of the Taliban, um, of the government infrastructure in Afghanistan. I think that Canada has a particular responsibility uh, as a state, In relation to Afghanistan, given that Canada was a participant in the U.S.-led invasion of Afghanistan in late 2001, uh, we've seen the detrimental impacts that this has had on Afghanistan um, until now. So I think it's really important to think deeply about the impacts of military intervention and how that leads to long-term consequences uh, for a people, for a nation... And obviously in the context of Afghanistan, it's had detrimental impacts. And the events recently in Afghanistan are obviously linked to 20 years of war and conflict that Canada was involved in through NATO. Um, But I do think that the World Food Program is doing important interventions in regards to dealing with acute real crisis of hunger that exists in Afghanistan today. So I wanted to just highlight that particular aspect here on Free City Radio. Thank you for listening. This has been the 66th edition of Free City Radio. We bring a new podcast to you every Tuesday. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Please tell a friend to subscribe if you like what you're hearing. You can email me at stefan.christof at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Free City Radio. So that's about it. Um, I'll be with you again next Tuesday. I'll go out with a track from a band that I love, The Dirty Three. Here we go. I'll talk to you next week.